the truth? Oh, I'm all ears. Okay. The truth. I always tell the truth, even when I lie. Why do you find it so hard to believe? Why do you find it so easy? It's never been easy! You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! All I'm offering is the truth. Nothing more. Hey, podcast land. Welcome back to another edition of Truthful Talk. I am your host, Marco DiGiorgio. And once again, I'm here with one of my favorite people in the world. Me. My wife, Sam George. Hey, podcast world. What's up? What's up? She's back. I'm back. Hey. <laughs> and today we have a, a special episode, which is near and dear to my heart. Uh, and it started with something that began all the way back in September 1987 with this. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. That's the field, man. That's the feels. It's awesome. To this day, it just resonates with me. Star Trek. Star Trek, specifically Star Trek The Next Generation, but all of Star Trek is so important in my life. And I'm a big fan of the whole thing. Uh, you know, Sam specifically is The Next Generation. Yeah. He's, he's trying to get me to watch these other ones, Deep Space Nine. Uh, no, thank you. Uh... Yeah, no thank you. I, I did watch Voyager. I did give Voyager a chance. That was pretty cool. I like the doctor, um, but I'm always going to go back the to... The holographic doctor. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and, but I've, I've, I've tried because, of course, myself, I, I've i seen all of the original series. I've seen everything. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a true Trekkie. The original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, uh, all the movies, so uh, today we wanted to dedicate this episode to talking about Star Trek and the importance of Star Trek, one, in my life, uh, two, the impact that it had on Sam, uh, and three, in, in the world around us, because Star Trek is, is a big part of the entire world, I mean, especially the scientific world. It's a religion, people. It's I know, a- <laughs> I know I, I, here's, a, here's the thing. The people that don't know Star Trek, that have only watched the, the 2009 J.J. Abrams reboot yeah that's not a religion but for those that know the original series and like me the next generation it's a religion so i don't know if that makes any sense but it star trek is really deep and i'm sure marco's going to go into a lot of it but um it's not an action-packed sci-fi movie it's more than that it was different i mean back at back in the series what gene rod roddenberry tried to create his vision was he wanted to make parable stories. He wanted to have uh, an episodic 
where he could tell morality tales of things that weren't getting told elsewhere. And he wanted to show a future where issues were resolved and resolved in a good way. So Gene Roddenberry's vision of, uh, vision of the future with Star Trek was it's, it, it was after uh, Earth had World War III. Um, it, Earth was devastated for a while and then rebuilt in unity. Uh, money was disbanded. Uh, people of Earth were no longer obsessed with material things and, and cultures came together. And so he wanted to show a future that possibly moved beyond a lot of the issues that we have today. But he was also able to address a lot of the issues that we have in our culture by putting it in a science fiction realm. I think that was a beautiful thing because there was a lot there's a lot of social issues that are brought up in Star Trek when you're watching um, the TV series back then and it's like man that they're they're dealing with uh, homosexuality there there's a whole lot of different social issues that they dealt with but they they race racism and but because they're showing it in this sci-fi world he was able to I guess have it approved through the networks. <laughs> The television industry was very restrictive back in the 60s. There, was, there were many things that you could not say or show on television. And because of that, Gene Roddenberry's concept of Star Trek, it circumvented these things. So you couldn't talk about race relation on a TV show. However, if we put it on an alien planet and we had two alien species that were having race relations with each other, then it was okay. that was acceptable because yeah. it really wasn't dealing with what was happening in America. It was dealing with some fictional planet elsewhere. Right. And that's where the brilliance of Gene Roddenberry came in. First of all, he developed the, the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. This is the command positions of the, of the Starship Enterprise. And you know, back in the 60s, one of the major things he did, you know, he, he tried to show diversity uh, on the bridge you know, and on, really in, on the whole crew. So you had Pavel Chekhov, who's the, the Russian. You had right. Scotty, right? Who's Scottish, Scottish, right? Yeah. You had all of these different things. And you had Uhura, who is Nichelle Nichols, who was the black bridge officer. She was in the communications officer. This was groundbreaking. Because back then in the 60s, when you're dealing with, with race relations, you know it wasn't that there weren't black actors on TV but typically they weren't in anything of a command type of position. Right, especially a black female. That's not something you, you, you would see in the shows back in the day. So I know that even for her as an actress, that was extremely challenging and intimidating. And it was really interesting back then because when Nichelle Nichols got the role of Uhura, it was a smaller role and she wasn't necessarily excited in the first season, so much so that she had thought about leaving. Uh, she wanted to go and, and do different things. She ended up having a conversation with Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr. back then sat her down and said, what you are doing is so important for the future of the black community that you must continue in this role. How awesome is that, dude? Like, seriously. Well, who are you? are the only one who can do it. I was pleased that uh, in those days when uh, you couldn't get even blacks on television, that I not only had a black, but a black woman and a black officer. You are away from your post, mister. And that'll show them. 
I told Jean after the end of the first season that I would not be returning to the show. We terrified and overwrought. That I wanted to return to my first love, which is musical theater. But I didn't know that meeting a Star Trek fan would change my life. I was told that fan wanted to meet me, and I turned and looked into the face of Dr. Martin Luther King. I, I was breathless. He says, yes, I'm the Trekker. I'm a Star Trek fan. And he told me that Star Trek was one of the only shows that his wife Coretta and he would allow their little children to stay up and watch and thanked him, and I told him that I was leaving the show. All the smile came off his face and he said, you can't do that. He said, don't you understand that for the first time, we are seen as we should be seen. You don't have a black role. You have an equal role. And when I went back to work on Monday morning, I went to Gene's office and I told him what had happened over the weekend. And he says, welcome home. We got a lot of work to do. It was amazing because essentially what he was saying is the young generation of the 60s and of the 70s, the young generation are going to see you on the screen and say, yes, I can do that. Yeah, little girls I inspired. The, well, anyone, young, young black people could be uh, inspired, not not just females. Which is why Gene Roddenberry is such a brilliant person. Like, I just mind-blowing because not only is this inspiring just the black culture in general, but man, it's like females too, which is a, a whole different thing. Like, he didn't even know that that was going to be important. Like, for me, that's super important to go back and watch and see that she was on there, knowing everything that we've been through in the past 40 years or whatever, to see, oh, I mean, they maybe they weren't thinking about it back then, that there's this female, uh, part of the cast is a female. But I'm looking at it now going, man, that's awesome, because it could have been a black male. But I think it made it 20 times more powerful, the fact that it was a black female. So whether it was intentional or not, I think Gene Roddenberry is a psychic. Possibly. He, de <laughs> he definitely was ahead of his time. I mean, you know, and so he, he did he did the original series for a couple of years uh, for as long as the show lasted. But he had a lot of restrictions, and I really believe he was ahead of his time. Uh, you know, a few decades later, 1987, he releases Star Trek The Next Generation. Now, Star Trek The Next Generation, he now had more liberty to create episodes of a show that he originally wanted to create in the 60s. So he came back to the show, and of course, it, it takes place in the future of the original cast, right? You know, the Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock, they were on the original cast. Then The Next Generation is takes place, you know, uh, many years later. But he now had... This was the show he wanted to create. Now, the first couple seasons of The Next Generation were still very, the best way to put it, cheesy. Well, yeah. Uh, to give you guys a little bit of history, I was never a sci-fi fan, like, at all. And y'all know, if y'all know Marco, he's like a sci-fi geek. And so being that I was never a, a, a fan of sci-fi, when you first showed me the episode 
that was very important to you because it had to do with your dad and it was it's something very meaningful to you and personal when i first watched it i was like oh my god that's so cheesy like I remember that moment when she, when she, when she <laughs> said you, that. I was like, oh, it's like a dagger to the heart. Yeah, you were crushed. I think, yeah, it, it, that was a rough, that was a rough night. I had no idea <laughs> what that was going to cause by me telling you, oh man, that was cheesy. <laughs> you really like that? Because <laughs> I was looking at it from, I guess, the the set. It was like back in the day and, you know, the the, the makeup and all that. It was It was really cheesy. That's like the best word I can describe it. So I wasn't looking at the story, nothing like that. Well, there's certain episodics and, you know, and Star Trek always fell in the realm of like the Doctor Who. It it, it was kind of the same type of feel where they didn't have huge budgets and it wasn't about the special effects. It wasn't about that, right? That's the whole debate, Star Wars versus Star Trek. You know, Star Wars was always about cgi and effects and, and everything else and star trek was about story yeah it was like we don't need it was almost the way they approached star trek it was as if it was a stage play a morality yeah. tale stage play that was just being done in in this episodic thing so especially when they first started when they had the original series and then when they did the next generation the first couple seasons of the next generation their budget was so low they were repurposing the original sets from the 60s so essentially, they had one set. Like they go down to an alien planet. They had one set and a couple of paper mache rocks, and they would just move the rocks around, and they have a new planet. <laughs> yeah. And so that, that's really what we they were dealing with. And you it can kind of tell. <laughs> and you can kind of tell. And but it wasn't about that. Yeah. It was like when you put you know when you put on a stage play. It's the same thing. We're not really trying to create an environment necessarily. It's it's you know a lot of stage productions. You you have like a rock over here, and okay, we're in a desert, and so. That's what they were trying to do. Gene Roddenberry was putting more of the focus on the story. Now, when we first started out the podcast, we we talked about, or Sam actually mentioned how this Star Trek is like a religion. Well, the reason that is, is because Roddenberry was putting his focus on the stories, each episode with each story was a parable. So when you look at Star Trek, which is different than most other episodics out there, you have morality tales, parables in every episode, meaning that every episode is trying to teach a lesson about something. Yeah. And, and sure, they have some episodes that are there just for fun or some episodes that are kind of the action ones. The majority of all of the episodes are trying to teach something. He's trying to make a point about something, whether it's race relations, whether it's equality, whether it's gender, uh, whether it's right or wrong, you know, he, I mean, there's so many different ones, uh, you know, family. Um, he did one, uh, the, you know, whether he did like a war and he looked at both sides of, you know, two, two uh, factions fighting against each other and showed that both are right. In a sense that both had something that they believed they were right in and fighting. So he didn't necessarily take a stand in it. He was saying, look, if, if you look at it from the other side, they're right too. So he was really teaching through that. And growing up, I grew up Catholic. And so I was, you know, well-versed in the Bible and well-versed in what that religion is about. And they were parables. And they're parables that teach us lessons on how to conduct our life. They're parables that, that tell a story that say, hey, look, at the end of this story, look what happened to this person because they did this. Or look of the good things that came because they did that. 
They were stories that say, this is how you need to conduct your life if you want to be happy, healthy, and get along with your neighbor. But I think I think they did it in a in a more outside the box because Star Trek is all about pushing boundaries. So I think it was very open minded and got you to think. Like each episode that ha- even there 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 was this morality tale. It was it's something that makes you think. After it's not like well this is the way it should be and this is just because we made the show and this is what we want you to believe. No, they open it up for you to make your choices. That's what I get from it. Well, there are a lot of episodes that do that. But believe it or not, religion does that too. Now, organized religion, not so much. Meaning that if, if you read the parables of the New Testament, some of them are open-ended. Some of them say, you know, here's a, it's a morality tale. It's a story. That's all it is. It's a story that, that's then telling you something about being moral and being ethical. But it, it does, it's not so close-ended as we think it is. Now, it's not so in, black and white. It's not so black and white, except in organized religion. When you go to church and you, and you talk, you know, people that interpret it and then tell you what it's supposed to mean, well, then that's something different. But you can have people that interpret Star Trek and say, well, this episode means this. Well, that's when it gets into the organized fashion yeah. of it. But it's still a morality tale, no different than, than that. Right. It's no different than parables that have been passed down for generations and generations. And there really, there's not many TV shows that do that that try to teach a lesson about what it means to, to get along with each other. I mean, humanity tales, really every episode. So when Star Trek came, you know, came alive to me, you know, really with the next generation, I loved the original series, and I, but I especially loved the original series after the next generation. I mean, I grew up with it with my dad, but I, I was just a little too young to really appreciate it. Yeah. I liked it because it was sci-fi. Uh, but it wasn't until I got into the next generation that I really went back and truly appreciated uh, the original series with with Captain Kirk and, and Spock and, and all the rest. You mean when you went back and rewatched it as an adult? I was, you know, because when I'm five and six, I, I can't really appreciate really what Star Trek was. But when I was a teenager, sure, that, then it started to, to hit. And that's when I, it was in my teen years that I really w- appreciated uh, the original Star Trek. I was... <laughs> 16 uh yeah 16 when when next generation came out that's why you're so cool man that's why you're the, that's why you're the you're the different dude so <laughs> i don't know what that means <laughs> it means i mean who's watching who at 16 is learning their life lessons from star trek so uh, you know a little later on in the 90s for me when i had a a, a falling out with catholicism and just from a standpoint of I went on my own spiritual journey and I had some things happen and uh, just that made me question the religion. Uh, you know, I just found that I, I just needed something else to help guide me and Star Trek was that thing. Because I think it's important, whether we have an organized religion, whether we have some sort of spiritual basis, uh, we need something to follow that teaches us bigger lessons in life. I think that is important to have. And for me at that age, college age and you know going beyond uh with everything I was dealing with at the time, I just needed something to turn to. Star Trek was always there and I learned a lot of lessons from it. It did get me to think. Yeah, well that that's the thing. And we're even going to put up in our room uh 
We have a wall with a little like a ledge and we're going to write really big there. Live long and prosper. You know, the, the movies. Yeah, because, you know, live long and prosper. Of course, that's that's the, the Vulcan saying. And it you know, comes back to Spock, who's one of my favorite characters in the entire universe. He's so beautiful. I love him. And I think that's why I love Data and the Next Generation, because they really mirror each other. Well, that was why Data was created. Yeah. That Data was the, the Spock character. Oh, my heart. They have my heart. And, you know, that's when you go back and you look at it, if you look at even the movies, you know, there was Star Trek, the motion picture, which was, you know, that was their first attempt <laughs> back in the late 70s. But then came out uh, Star Trek II: the Wrath of Khan. That was the one that was the big one. Now, this is, of course, uh, early 80s when this came out. And that was a great movie. And the thing that was so great about the Wrath of Khan, which still today is ar- arguably the best Star Trek movie that has come out. It was so beautiful because it's really about relationship and family. It's a space opera, essentially, but it's it's about family. And we have Captain Kirk, we have uh, Mr. Spock, and we have McCoy, the doctor, right? And this really the three of them, they are a family with each other. And that ep- that movie was about that, was about getting older and what does it mean to have family, lose family, and be with each other and try to keep your youth as you get older. I mean, it's the morality tales inside the movie were great. And it was a wonderful movie. Beyond that, then we came out with The Search for Spock, which was the next movie, which I still rather enjoyed. I, I love all of that whole journey because uh, it was a trilogy. Went from Wrath of Khan, Search for Spock, and then on to The Voyage Home. And the, that th- those three movies really surrounded a a wonderful message of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one, which ended up being the message of the movie. In any case, were I to invoke logic, logic clearly dictates that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Or the one. And it's a very important message. I think for society and I think for just just people in general saying, hey, everyone else around you, the greater good is an important thing. And we have to always keep the greater good in mind. And this is, you know, instead of allowing your own ego to come into play and looking only out for yourself, it's important to look out for everybody. And this is why that saying in our household is so important, because when we're making when we're having conversations and uh about certain decisions that we have to make, not only as a family, but as owners of the studio, of Truthful Acting Studios, um, that saying comes into play a lot because we have to think of the the greater good of the community and not come from a selfish point of view or what we think is best, but what is best for the family or what's best for our students. Yes, and, and, and there's a great lesson to be learned there. And, and that was the beauty of what Roddenberry created is that, I mean, we... You know, you talked about our family in the studio and, and all of these different aspects coming from this one single line from this one movie, which was about a sacrifice that Spock had to make in order to protect his family. And it was it was a wonderful thing. And now the next movie, The Search for Spock, was actually the opposite. It was where Captain Kirk goes back and search for his his friend and family member, Spock. You know, his, his, his kind of his closest friend in the universe. And he kind of changed that around. And he says, sometimes the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the few or the many. My father says that you have been my friend 
you came back for me. You would have done the same for me? Why would you do this? Because the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. And saying again, sometimes one person in your life may be so important that you will do anything for them. Aww. That sounds like you and I Aww. in the beginning of our relationship. Why in the beginning? Because it was you. <laughs> you were the one that was fighting and fighting and fighting for us. It was all about the love of that you had for me. So in our in our times of trouble, you know, and in, in, in our difficult times, I I was your one. <laughs> yes. Yes. You still are. Aww. <laughs> Okay, so maybe that that maybe that saying applies sometimes. Okay, but it was a wonderful turn of uh, you know again taking the saying and saying okay, well sometimes it's the opposite. And, and again, Roddenberry liked to look at both sides of an argument and, and look at that. And he looked at both sides of this in in one movie after the other, and applied them both morally and saying yes, sometimes one thing is so important to you that you will invest everything into it to accomplish. And it's worth taking the risks. It's worth getting in trouble. It's worth, you know, which is what the story was about. Captain Kirk had to break a lot of rules and had to become a renegade, you know, in in many ways in order to go on this mission to save his friend. But sometimes it's worth risking everything if you really believe in the cause that you're doing. So it was a wonderful, again, morality tale. And then the voyage home, Star Trek IV, the voyage home, was on the way home. They get diverted, and this there's you know more of a, a time travel event that happens. And essentially, they bring in the environment into it. It was a really unique way of doing it. They ended up having to go back in time to the 80s, which is funny. They had to go back in time <laughs> to the 80s to then bring home, uh, bring back to the future whales, humpback whales to the future in order to then save the planet in the future. Who are you? Who do you think I am? Don't tell me. You're from outer space. No, I'm from Iowa. I only work in outer space. Oh, well, I was close. I mean, I knew outer space was going to come into this sooner or later. The truth? I am all ears. Okay. The truth. I am from what on your calendar would be the late 23rd century. I've come back in time to bring two humpback whales with me in an attempt to repopulate the species. And it was an interesting, again, morality tale about how we, as we are hunting whales and and you know and doing certain things to the environment that were actually destroying our future so he took a very unique approach it was a very fun movie uh it was a much more lighter movie than than the rest uh but again making a point well the least favorite of the star trek movies was five um i guess the majority of the star trek fans really didn't like that one and i that that's probably one of my favorites because it had to do with faith and them questioning whether there was a God or not and then, you know, finding them and then it not really being real. And I just thought that was pretty cool because then that's pushing people to think of their faith and do they really believe what they believe in or and, and, and what happens when 
you're, you're going through this self-discovery and you, and you think you have this belief, but something challenges it. So that's why that episode was really important to me. Yeah, I really enjoyed that movie as well. I, you know, I, I know it's the least favorite, but I think it's because it's the least action-packed. It's, it really feels more like an episode uh, from a TV series on the big screen, but I'm okay with that. Shakari, the source. Heaven. Eden. Call it what you will. The Klingons call it Kuitu. For the Romulans, it's Vortavor. The Andorian word is is unpronounceable. Still, every culture in existence shares this common dream of a place from which creation sprang. For us, that place will soon be reality. The only reality I see is that I'm a prisoner on my own ship. What is this power you have to control the minds of my crew? I don't control minds. I free them. How? By making you face your pain and draw strength from it. Once that's done, fear cannot stop you. I loved the interaction. It was very subtle. Uh, it was still centered around family. And, and the family is Captain Kirk, uh, Mr. Spock, and uh, Bones McCoy. It's those three and how they really interact with each other and the family that they create. And then, you know, and then, then the rest of the crew were in that as well. And it's, it's but it was done really, I, I, th I thought it was done pretty well, the interactions between them. And again, dealing with this whole thing of faith. I think fans didn't like it as much simply because it wasn't, it didn't have the action and adventure element as much as the others did. Or maybe uh, the science, because it was more faith-driven. It was more faith-driven than science-driven. Yeah. Uh, which was interesting, though. It was, it was, it was a, a neat take on that. And then from there comes back to then, which typically is, is noted as the second favorite film, which is Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Now, again, this is the last voyage of the original crew. And this has to do with uh, race relations, essentially, meaning that it takes a look at war. And it looked at trying to form a peace between the Klingons and the Federation which it represents pretty much pick two countries, right? So it, it represents, you know, uh, at the time, uh, was it, uh, you know, America and Russia? Or, you know, now is it, you know, America and the Middle East? Yeah. But is it possible to overcome certain prejudices that we have once the war is over? I offer a toast. The undiscovered country. The future. Hamlet, Act Three, Scene One. You have not experienced Shakespeare until you have read him in the original Klingon. <laughs> Tell me, Captain Kirk, would you be willing to give up Starfleet? <coughs> I believe the captain feels that Starfleet's mission has always been one of peace. Uh, far be it for me to dispute my first officer. But Starfleet has always been in the fourth. Captain, there's no need to mince words. In space, all warriors are cold warriors. We do believe all planets have a sovereign claim to inalienable human rights. Inalien. If you could only hear yourselves. Human rights. 
Why, the very name is racist. The Federation is no more than a homo sapiens only club. Uh, present company accepted, of course. In any case, we know where this is leading. The annihilation of our culture. That's not true. No. No. To be or not to be. That is the question which preoccupies our people, Captain Kirk. We need breathing room. Earth, Hitler, 1938. Very Shakespearean, the way it was done, uh, the way the tale was told, and they used a lot of lines from Hamlet, which was wonderful, and the undiscovered country, which is which is a a theme from Hamlet, and but saying that the undiscovered country is that place where we can get along with each other and we can find peace with each other and we can realize that we are more the same than we are different, and to me it was it was very beautifully done. Uh, once again, it was kind of a nice mixture between action adventure, you know, story, and then also, uh, you know, it was very character driven and centered around the, the main, uh, the main core characters. But once again, the movie had a good solid theme again, you know, it's a mixture of action adventure, but with a point, with a point too many, too many movies nowadays, I feel don't have a point. And which is why we take this original cast and then these newer movies that have just come out, the J.J. Abrams r- reboot, the Abramsverse you know, was what they're calling it. You know, the, the new, you know, we have three movies now that have come out in this new reboot of Star Trek. And it feels like we're watching something more out of Star Wars. You know, the, the first one that came out in 2009 I gave the benefit of the doubt to, and I said, okay, this one, maybe. I don't know. I still felt like it was like, oh, look at that. We just watched a action sci-fi movie. It did feel more like a Star Wars movie than a Star Trek, and nothing against Star Wars, but it felt more like a Star Wars prequel movie. <laughs> They're just two <laughs> completely different universes. It was just very action-packed, a lot, you know, just a lot of CGI, just a lot of stuff blowing up. And that's really not what it's about. I thought the story was okay. And I thought, you know, I understand, okay, well, we need to reset everything and get a new audience in here. It's like, all right, well, we'll give them that one. We'll say, okay, the 2009 one was whatever. But maybe going forward, we'll get back into morality tales. And so then Into Darkness came out. And I'm like, I was really excited about it. Saying, okay, Into Darkness, this is going to be a good morality tale again. (laughs) I wasn't excited. And oh my God, it it wasn't. It, It... to me, it felt very much like a Zack Snyder movie, <laughs> meaning Zack Snyder who did Man of Steel and then, you know, Dawn of Justice. Yeah. In those movies, like Man of Steel, I thought the first half or almost three quarters of the movie was decent. It was heading somewhere. It was really setting it up. It was very human. I, I was really in liking it. And then all of a sudden we end on just a, a glorified action sequence that went on way too long and just didn't need to be there. I felt the same thing in Dawn of Justice. I, I felt there were some really good things being set up, and then all of a sudden there's these huge actions, action sequences that we just didn't need. 
That's what happened to me in Into Darkness. I felt the beginning of the film, there were some good things that were being set up that we could really make a point with and we can really get into some very human things and and uh, get into, again, a morality tale or a parable. And again, it just turns into this very over-the-top action sequence that really was outside of the realm of what Star Trek is about. And it, I honestly, like, I cringe. Like when all the, 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 all the blowing up and all the action packed and stuff, kind of Michael Bayish stuff, I, I cringe. I'm like, I, I, I can't, this is not, this is not Star Trek. Like I, I get, I get there is action stuff. Cause even in the, even in the TV series, I mean, there was a, there was a lot of action stuff, but it was backed up with a story. The story was more important. The, the, the action was a consequence of the story. I think. Right. Right. And in these movies, it was more the was, action yeah. was just because, well, now we're in 2009. Yeah, the and action that's, was the story. And that's what that's what movies are. They're right. just the, I can't. I honestly I cringe. And Michael Bay is a good example because, it, it, you know, the whole Transformers influence, it did almost feel like it got into that. All of a sudden, there's just a lot of CGI and stuff blowing up and there's really no point for it. Right. And and that's that's the issue I, I'm having with with the reboots. Uh, you know, Star Trek Beyond, the latest, I felt it it started to go in the closest direction to Roddenberry. I thought the script was was decent, uh, but again, it was an action movie. It wasn't really a morality tale. It wasn't a drama. It wasn't what Star Trek still is. Even though I liked it, it was the best out of the three for me, being a hardcore Trekkie. But it still was, man, it, it was action, 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 action. I like the movie, but it's still not Star Trek. Yeah. I can, and, and, and it's funny because after we watched the movie, uh, Marco looks over to me and he's like, so what'd you think? And I'm like, wait a minute. No, what'd you think? Because <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to give him my honest opinion because it's so personal to him. But I honestly, I was like, oh, it, was, it was a good movie. It was in Star Trek, but it was... It was a good movie. And I think there were certain elements that were really good in, in Beyond. Um, I mean, I think Kirk really, Chris Pine represents Kirk really well. I really feel that from him. Um, there was a little story as far as his father goes, but I didn't like the use of the song Sabotage. <laughs> And I know that J.J. Uh, Abrams is a huge Beastie Boys fan. Yes. And so he puts in his Easter eggs in there. Right. Um, but man, just like, okay, so the way we're going to blow up this whole Yorktown is through the song Sabotage. Like, oh my God. To me, that was, I was like, no, this is not, <laughs> is this really how you're doing it? That's almost like when you're watching a movie and then you're like, please, please don't let them wake up at the end and it's all, and it was all a dream. <laughs> that, that's how I felt. Like, this is how you're going to do it with the song Sabotage. I yeah, just, it was, it was a quick solution that 
it's you know, and I'm okay for certain quick solutions if if they make sense. Uh, but it, yeah, it just it was it was a gimmick, I, I guess, and it felt like a gimmick. And then at the end of the movie, and not to give too much away uh, for those who haven't seen it, but at the end of the movie, let's just say that the resolution of Beyond it had moments where it could have been classic Trek, meaning it had a mo- had these moments that were building up to saying, okay, we could make a good point here. We could have a good dialogue and conversation between Kirk and the villain where it leads to something where maybe there's not even, I'm not even looking for a redemption moment in the villain, but I'm looking for maybe a moment where something is realized, something greater is is realized but here's how i feel like i feel there was no character development for the villain there really wasn't it was it was it was so oh here's the bad guy and this happened to him and this is why he did this and boom blow up bah, movie's over yeah it there, there really wasn't and, and they could have gotten into that that backstory uh or at least some sort of development much better uh and there there really wasn't and so the, you know it, it had a lot of flaws still and to me, it's interesting, you know, the worst movie that we've had, you know, Star Trek V, which is the one that is looked at down upon the most for whatever reason, I still think is superior to any of these that, that have been in, in the JJ world. And it's simply because even though Five wasn't the best movie from a structure standpoint, the story it still had a story. It was still about characters, and there was character development and character movement, and there were things things happening there. And in all three of these, the, in the Ab- Abrams verse, it's really it's all based on action. Well, I, I think the only thing better about these movies than the the other Star Trek movies is the production value, <laughs> and that's just because there's more budget now. So to me, they're obviously going to be better from a production standpoint, but not from anything else. And one thing that I did want to point out is that they came, they they tastefully uh, brought uh, Sulu. They kind of pointed out that he was gay in this film. Yeah, yeah, it was very subtle, but but they did give a nod to that character uh, that his character Sulu was, was and it, gay. And it's interesting because George Takai was totally against that. Oh my. And they, they thought they were doing it from a standpoint of, okay, so George Takai has come out as a person, as a gay man, and so let's bring Sulu out. And he, he actually yeah. didn't like that because he said that that wasn't Gene Roddenberry's original vision, which he had spoken to Gene Roddenberry about back. Right. And Gene Roddenberry was like, no, that's not who Sulu is. And which is okay. I mean, Gene it, Roddenberry's it, vision, he, and, and Gene Roddenberry wasn't against that. It was just that for the character of for this particular character, that's not who that is. Right. And and that's fine. And I mean, I, I understand Sulu's point. It's like, well, let's not change it just for the sake of changing it. Because if we do that, it becomes no different than sabotage. Exactly. It's like, hey, let's use this gimmick. And there's been a lot of that in the Abrams world. It's like, hey, let's give a nod to these things just because maybe just, maybe we'll pull in the Star Trek fans that way. And it's like, no, you're going to pull in the Star Trek fans by making a good story. Right. Man, that's how to do it. <laughs> Tell a good story. Make us think. And that's that's what we love about Star Trek. It gets you to think. These latest movies don't get you to think. I don't have to think. No, I, you just cl- have to pee after you leave the theater. <laughs> I click off my brain and that's it. And that's all I have to do. Because yes, it was action packed just like Fast and the Furious. He did a good job. Now, here's the thing I will say about Beyond. If I'm not a Star Trek fan, 
It was awesome. It's a good movie. Yeah. It, it, yeah. If I'm not a Star Trek fan and I'm just I'm going into it watching an action adventure sci-fi, it's a good movie. It's even a really good movie. I thought it had a lot of great mm-hmm. points. But there being, were certain cool things that were in the way. Like for example, Yorktown, the it was like a defied gravity. Do you remember how things were defied gravity? They were like sideways. I think that was cool because that's pushing the boundaries. So that's a little Star Trekky. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. It's the thing about Star Trek, though, that it has done from the beginning. Star Trek, which was different than Star Wars. Star Wars was a very uh, faith-based thing. Uh, when George Lucas created the original Star Wars, he had said that he had gone back to the old Greek tales that were being told. And he said, I wanted to do a modern-day Greek theater in a sci-fi realm. It's essentially is what he did. Let's bring the old Greek theater with these morality tales and bring them, which is good versus evil. Let's just sh- put together a movie, show good versus evil in a futuristic sci-fi world. And that's how he created Star Wars. But Star Wars is very grandiose and has a lot of different elements to it. Star Trek was always grounded in science. Right. In actual science that right. of the time and where science was going. And because they always grounded it in actual science, like real science at the times, and then created things that might be developed in the future of that realm of science, things actually have been created from Star Trek. A ton so, of things. So many things that we have today have been created. You look at the original Star Trek and you look at the, the flip communicator. Yeah. Well, for, I mean, growing up in the 90s, we had flip phones. They were Star Trek communicators, essentially. Yeah. You know, now we have we have these phones that were no that are no different than what they used on on Star Trek. They had these little flat panel computers, essentially. Well, we're walking around with iPads now, so they it's it's amazing how they they took a lot of the science of Star Trek and turned it into actual science, and they could do that. Because the science of Star Trek was created based in actual science, based well, in actual possibilities and plausibilities of what could could happen. Which attracted scientists. And and this is why I think that they creative a lot of the created a lot of these things because they saw the science behind it and made it possible. Well, and here's a good example. So they have uh, in Star Trek, they have something called warp speed. Uh, and and the way their their propulsion drives work and things like that that was all based in in science. Where in Star Wars they have hyperdrive, you just jump the hyperdrive and the thing goes into light speed and you're and you're gone. Well, Star Wars was a little different to the point that they are actually today they are actually trying to build a warp engine based in the concepts of Star Trek. Yeah, they're trying to build a holodeck, the hologram technology based in in what Star Trek provided this is the next generation uh so there's so many different aspects that they're really trying to build based in what star trek led the way with i'm waiting for the transporter they're working on that (laughs) they're working on on sending very simple things very simple molecules through a transporter uh and and doing that and but but they're working on this scientists are working on this because the thought was put into Star Trek based in science. And, and that was the amazing thing. One of the amazing things about it was Star Trek was grounded in a futuristic reality. More so than the fantasy worlds that a lot of others were, were grounded in. And again, that's one of my big problems with the Abramsverse 
is it's it's t- it took the reality of Star Trek and turned it into fantasy. And all of a sudden, it's like there's you know the Enterprise looks nothing like it did. I mean, on the outside, it's similar, but the inside, it's like all white and sleek, and it's yeah. like okay, what, what what are we dealing with now? I bet NASA's a n- NASA. I bet <laughs> <laughs> NASA's a big fan of Star Trek. I bet their engineers are like super Star Trekies. Well, and, and anyone anyone in in the space program, uh, in in anything going over there on the space coast, or it's sure they're they got a lot of them got into yeah. this because they grew up in Star Trek. So it just shows what the influence on the greater world that a lot of things that exist today, the technology was from somebody watching Star Trek and saying, hey, that's possible. I want to become an engineer and do that. Dude, medical equipment. I bet doctors and stuff. There's a lot of like the, the, the doctors on the on the Enterprise, the technology that they would use. The medical scanners yeah. and so forth. It's amazing. They've done documentaries on it. And if you if you have time and you're into Star Trek and you want to look at it, just look, look up the science of Star Trek. And it's amazing. There's documentaries that will show things that occurred in Star Trek that were created out of the imagination of Star Trek that have actually now have been created in the world today. That's super cool. Dude. There's a lot more than you would think. Yeah. You know, from flat panel TVs um, to communicators to, I mean, all sorts of different things. There's, uh, I just saw one recently, which was a universal translator. So in Star Trek, they have this thing called a universal translator, which is essentially a little hearing aid you put in your ear. And when you're talking to an alien species, it translates it in your ear. So that's how, when you're watching a Star Trek episode, they, everyone understands everyone because they speak through this universal translator. I saw it not too long ago where they had a translator you put in your ear and it was just for a couple languages. But like, let's say you go to France and all of a sudden someone from, from France is speaking to you, it translates it into English. I mean, so you're hearing it in English, and when you speak back, they're hearing it in French. It's amazing. Isn't that amazing? All of our technology comes from Star Trek. It's 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 a, it's amazing what uh, what the vision that Roddenberry did. But again, it was it was based in a possibility that you know what this this thing could one day be created, some sort of translator, some sort of computer that I'm going to talk. It's going to listen and it's going to take it and give you your language whatever language you need to have it in and it's amazing in in our lifetime not in the not too distant future we're going to have that i'm personally waiting for the holodecks <laughs> i want the holodecks that's that's virtual reality that's, and it is virtual reality we were talking about that with derek in the in the previous episode yeah in in, in episode three yeah yeah in, in episode three we have uh we talked about wild eyes and virtual reality where you can put this headset on and you can be in a different realm essentially that's it And really, if you think about it, we can put on this headset and we can be in a different environment, walk around and look around and see different things. We're not that far off from turning a room into one. I mean, you know, in the next 10, 20 years, we will have holodecks, which is essentially a full immersive room uh, virtual reality. That's kind of, uh, for those that don't know, that's where they would go. That was where where the the people on the ship would go to kind of just get away from it all and just be uh, play have fun they yeah were, it was like for the recreation because they, yeah, they're, rec- they're on a ship right? right so they're in this in space for a long term and they're they don't have the ability to go to the planet to go to wherever yeah so let's go to the holodeck and play cowboys yeah right they, they would come up with stories yeah and be able to live in these stories and go to a casino or go to the beach or go wherever and the holodeck would would create this environment all around them 
as if they were there. And now we have virtual reality. And now we have virtual reality, which is which is getting us there. I mean, it's yeah. very lifelike. I, I know. Mean, it's, it's incredible when you know we are experimenting the thing. And again, listen to episode three if you want to find out more about the about the virtual reality. Well, this leads us now. We talked about the the original series where this all started, and then the movies which uh, which propelled us there. And we talked about the Abrams verse, which of course we probably won't talk about anymore. But no, the no main, need. No need. <laughs> <laughs> but the main thing is the original series led us into the next generation. The next generation, to me, was the most impactful. Uh, it contained again. It started as a continuation of the original series. And what I mean by that, when you if you watch the first two seasons of the next generation, they feel very similar to the original series. They feel similar in set design. They feel similar in how they're shot. Uh, you know, from a production standpoint, they feel similar from a story structure. It was, it, again, it was, it was Star Trek part two or phase two, but then it, it adapted. It started to adapt in season three and definitely by the end of season three into season four. And it began to deal with more current issues. The production value went up. Um, the, the, the stories deepened, uh, at the end of season, uh, three, there was an episode called The Best of Both Worlds, which, again, to this day, uh, still seems to be one of the the highest appreciated episodes, the highest liked episodes. They, they call it, you know, I think it's even rated, The Best of Both Worlds 1 and 2 might be the uh, highest fan-rated episodes that have been done. Why is that? What and, do you think? Well, it was... It was the time that Star Trek The Next Generation changed. And it changed from being what Star Trek was into what it could be. And the best of both worlds was the inner, it was, uh, they faced the Borg. The Borg. And Captain Picard got taken prisoner for the Borg. And at the end of season three was a big one because Captain Picard gets, gets taken uh, prisoner by the Borg, which is a kind of a, um, so they're almost like mechanical zombies in a sense. It's they're they're a race that views themselves as being perfect because they are a hybrid of organic and mechanics, and they go around and they assimilate different cultures. They take cultures and they they bring them in and they you know it, it's they almost infect them. They you know once you get touched by them, you become one of them. It's very zombie like, which is what happens to Captain Picard. And Captain Picard gets taken in, and at the end of season three which was a big one, they didn't know the future of the show. They didn't know what was going on. So the season ends with Riker, the, the first officer, taking control of the Enterprise, and he has to fight, and he has to make a decision. Does he attack this Borg cube, this Borg ship, or does he try to rescue the captain? And he makes the decision to attack it and you know, and essentially kill the captain. And so the whole season ends with him saying the word fire. Sir, we are being hailed by the Borg. On screen. I am Locutus, a Borg. Resistance is futile. Your life, as it has been, is over. From this time forward, you will service us. Mr. Worf. Fire. 
And it was a huge moment because it upped the stakes. All of a sudden, the stakes of Star Trek were never that high, <laughs> but they upped the stakes <laughs> to this very huge thing. What happened at the end of that episode, though, between seasons three and four, they didn't know if Patrick Stewart was coming back as Captain Picard. His contract was up. They didn't know if he was coming back. They didn't know what the future of the show uh, really held. So they kept it open so they, he could possibly die off and then it would change. For those of you that don't know who pa- Captain Picard is, he's uh, Xavier in the X-Men. Yeah. But he'll always be Picard. Yes, Patrick Stewart is is an amazing, amazing actor. And that was the other thing that that uh, the next generation had was was really good ensemble acting. But coming back into season four, once Patrick Stewart had his contract renewed and they decided to go in that direction, they also upped the budget of what they had available to the show. The show was successful at that point. It was doing really well. And so when they came back for Best of Both Worlds Part 2, then it was this, the show just felt different coming back into season four. It landed in a much deeper way. So they, you know, it's not really a spoiler, but they save them. And <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there's there's many more seasons after. But it was interesting. So they, they bring him back and it's all of a sudden, again, they were morality tales before that, but the lessons kind of deepened after that. The very, because all of a sudden it became more of a series in the sense where a lot of episodics, you know, every episode stands alone. And there's one episode and it's its own thing. And the next episode, it's its own thing. Starting with season four, it began to to tell a cohesive story. So every story began building on the last one and they tied in things that started happening, you know, together. And we're used to that in today's TV show, right? You watch 24 and it's all, it's like one big long thing. Yeah. Everything builds. And we, we see that in today's, in today's TV. But back then that wasn't that common. Back then, every episode for themselves. So this was kind of a new feeling to it. So you had the best of both worlds, which is the beginning of season four. You went into the next episode, which was called Family. And it dealt with the captain, Captain Picard, going back down to Earth after this thing with the Borg has happened and him really facing himself. Could he continue doing what he had done before after he had been forced to to do these things, you know, to, to be a prisoner aboard the ship and dealing with the aftermath of that. We're asking for it, you know. Yes, but you needed it. You have been terribly hard on yourself. You don't know, Robert. You don't know. They took everything I was. They used me to kill and to destroy, and I couldn't stop them. I shouldn't have been able to stop them. I tried. I tried so hard. I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't good enough. I should have been able to stop them. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. So... My brother is a human being after all. It was a very deep episode of dealing with his own family and early trauma in his own family. I mean, it was like, wow, this is getting deep. See, it's all about story. The next episode after that is called Brothers. And this was about the character of Data, who's Sam's favorite character. He's the android of Star Trek The Next Generation. I love Data. Just because he's the innocent. 
He is. And the funny thing is because he's an android, you know, androids don't have feelings. And even though Data says he can't feel, he has no idea. He has such an innocence about him because he's oh, he's so curious about humanity. He's so curious about people's feelings and because he doesn't understand. So he, he, it's like a, it's like watching a little kid. He, he questions everything. And then the way he speaks, he doesn't use contractions. contractions. So like he won't say it's he'll say it is. And I don't know. I just I love him. I love him. He represents the innocent as far as the, the, the archetype of a character. And he's the one that's always questioning. He's the one that's always always trying to figure out, well, why does this happen? And why does that happen? And it's a wonderful character. Well, in this episode, Brothers, Data has a brother, essentially, which means there was another android that his creator had, had made. And this character's name was Lore. And Lore was created with feelings. But the problem is that the feelings have made Lore go towards the realm of evil. <laughs> the feelings made him, you know, it, it, he relies on greed and he relies on ego and he relies on, on those things. So he tends to go towards fear and go towards that. So in Brothers, they really looked at, they paralleled Data and Lore and the fact that one is good and one is evil and them fighting against each other. And they also had these two children that they paralleled where one brother of, you know, they were like six, eight years old. One brother accidentally hurt the other brother. And would they forgive each other? Would one forgive the other one? And it was this very interesting thing about, well, where does, even though we're brothers, where does forgiveness lie? And so as it, it, you know, these episodes started getting deeper, uh, there was an episode that season called The Loss, which is absolutely wonderful. Uh, there's a character, Deanna Troy, who's the ship's counselor. She's what they call an empath. She can feel what someone else right. is feeling. She kind of knows what they're feeling and going through, and that's how she helps counsel them. Well, this is a wonderful episode where she loses her ability to be empathic. And therefore, she feels she can't function anymore. And she wants to quit and she wants to run away. And nobody understands because she, how, how can she function the world without this? And what a wonderful play on anybody losing any sort of sense or losing a limb or losing something and then struggling to get back into society. Right. It's, it's much more than what the episode shows. There's always a deeper meaning behind it. And that's the wonderful thing of, of what happened going, going forward in, in Star Trek. And as the seasons progressed, to me, they just kept getting deeper and then better and better and better. I think one of the cool episodes for me, for Data, um, with his daughter, he creates his daughter. Oh, the offspring. The offspring. There you go. And to me, that was such an amazing episode because here's this android that doesn't have feelings, right? Or it doesn't, it's not supposed to have feelings, yet he craves that from what he sees of other people. So he creates an android daughter and he gives her a name her name is Lau and he takes care of her and he programs her and everything and it's such an it's such a touching episode to see him develop this relationship with her because you're you feel what he like he has feelings he does have feelings but in a different way than humans do and he creates Lau to have feelings but Lal is my child you ask that I volunteer to give her up I cannot. It would violate every lesson I have learned about human parenting. I have brought a new life into this world. And it is my duty, not Starfleet's, to guide her through these difficult steps to maturity. 
to support her as she learns, to prepare her to be a contributing member of society. No one can relieve me from that obligation, and I cannot ignore it. I am her father. And she actually dies because of the overload of mm -hmm. feelings that she feels, which is, oh my goodness, talk about crying in an episode, because here's this android that loses his daughter because of an overload of feelings, and man. I know, it was. it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. it's, 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 again, it's deep, because I go through all the different episodes. There was one called The Game, which I love. Uh, the Game was an episode where Commander Riker brings back a, a game. It's basically a headset that you put on, you look into, and you're playing this game, but the game is addictive. So basically you play a game and you get someone else to play it. And, and before you know it, everyone on the ship is playing this game and they're becoming addicted to it. And I look at that and saying, well, isn't that what cell phones That's do? That's what our cell phones are. And I they're... watch this episode that I look around me and I see you go to a restaurant and everyone's on their cell phone. It's like, yeah. this is what's happening. Yeah. That's a great episode for anyone that hasn't watched Star Trek and just wants to watch one episode, go and watch the game because it's very relevant to to now. And that's uh, that's actually with Will Wheaton. We love, we're big fans of Will Wheaton. Love Will Wheaton. Love Will Wheaton. <laughs> and uh, Ashley Judd. Ashley, Ashley Judd's in that one. Yeah, yeah Ashley she, Judd's she, she in there. She guest stars in that one. Mm -hmm. It's season five, episode six, The Game. And it's 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 awesome. Another great episode of season five was one called Darmok, where Captain Picard and another ship's captain from another race were trapped on a planet together. And the thing about this episode, this is another fan favorite, is the universal translator didn't work. So here are two species that need to learn how to communicate with each other beyond the use of their own language. And it was wonderful because they misinterpreted each other in the beginning and it was really about listening and learning how to listen to each other because through that listening is where they're really gonna gonna understand and find common ground and it was a, absolutely a beautiful episode and uh, Paul Winfield uh, guest starred in that and did an amazing job I'll amazing have to go job. and watch that because I haven't seen that that sounds really good it, it moves me every time I watch it that particular episode uh, in this same season, there's one called Ethics. Ethics was where Worf, who is uh, played by Michael Dorn, he's a uh, he's a Klingon aboard the ship, and and the Klingon race is a very warrior like race, and they you know they believe in fighting and and all of this stuff and honor and and these things, and so he has an accident where he gets paralyzed from the waist down, and so his solution to being paralyzed is to commit ritualistic suicide. And he, you know, he asks his, you know, Commander Riker, who's one of his best friends, he asks him to help him commit ritualistic suicide. I have always tried to keep an open mind, not to judge someone else's culture by my own, but for me to be part of this ceremony. I understand from Dr. Crusher that Worf will never regain the use of his legs. That doesn't mean that his life is over. That's a very human perspective, Will. For a Klingon in Worf's position, his life is over. I can't accept that. Will, if you were dying, if you were terminally ill with an incurable disease and facing the remaining few days of your life in pain, wouldn't you come to look on death as a release? Worf isn't dying and he is not in pain. 
He could lead a long life when you and I could learn to live with a disability like that, but not Worf. His life ended when those containers fell on him. Now, we don't have to agree with it. We don't have to understand it. But we do have to respect his beliefs. And again, it was wonderful. It was the ethics of, of assisted suicide. And is it okay if, you're, if the quality of life is not where you want it, is it okay to, to kill yourself, essentially? And it, it dealt with that. And it was, yeah, that's a very deep issue. Extremely deep. And it was, it was wonderful. The episode right after that, which is one of your favorites, is The Outcast. Oh, I love that episode because that episode to me, there was a scene where, well, first of all, it's about, um, there's an androgynous planet and so there is no female male. Right. Um, that, that's not the way they were meant to live, but there's one um, character that identifies herself as a female. Yeah. You know, and she starts feeling, she starts having these feelings towards Riker, one of the commanders on the ship and you know, that, that you're not, they're not supposed to do that in their world. They can get pro, uh, persecuted and they go one of an iconic, something that I remember was she was before the jury in her, in her world. And it, they were basically trying to say that she needed to get help and treatment. So, because it was a sickness and a disease that she had by having these feelings. Yeah, she, right, right. She was diseased. Yeah. She had a disease and you know, they had doctors that can cure this. You are aware of the charges against you? Yes. Do you intend to dispute them? No. Sora. I am tired of lies. I am female. I was born that way. I have had those feelings, those longings, all of my life. It is not unnatural i am not sick because i feel this way i do not need to be helped i do not need to be cured what i need and what all of those who are like me need is your understanding and your compassion We have not injured you in any way. And yet we are scorned and attacked. And all because we are different. What we do is no different from what you do. We talk and laugh. We complain about work. And we wonder about growing old. We talk about our families and we worry about the future. And we cry with each other when things seem hopeless. All of the loving things that you do with each other, that is what we do. And for that we are called misfits and deviants and criminals what right do you have to punish us what right do you have to change us what makes you think you can dictate how people love each other 
and man talk about talk about like when you're <laughs> when you have a feelings of who you are and somebody telling you no that that's not right how you're feeling can be cured you're not supposed to be feeling like this man they're talking about this like back in the day gene roddenberry's bringing up these issues which today i would look at is as transgender so that's kind of what she was going through i mean you're right i mean it's transgender too who do you identify with or you identify as male or female that's transgender which we're dealing with today yeah and she was put in front of a jury to decide and tell her no you got to get cured this is a disease yeah and how she felt about that and at the time it was uh he was dealing with the gay and lesbian community because really you know in the episode it was about who do you choose to love she identified as female and choose to love Riker, uh, you know, being a male. And they told her, no, you don't have that choice. Mm. And uh, yeah, and this is wrong and you need to be cured of, of this thing. And it was it's a pretty powerful episode. That was probably one of the most powerful episodes I had watched. And there's others. There's, you know, there's I Borg, which is, this is all in the same season. As you can see, you know, season four came in, season five came in. There's these wonderful episodes. I Borg. So the Borg, they establish as this all powerful race that are just pure evil. And again, they're almost like these zombie like villains who just do nothing but destroy. Well, in I Borg, they capture one of the Borg and realize that individually, they're people. Mm-hmm. Individually, they have their own feelings and thoughts, and 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 they all can't be treated just because they were part of this collective enemy. We can't simply just kill all of them and and treat them all the same. And the thing is, they all look alike. They all look very similar. Yeah, right. the, the the board look all look all alike. So it was a wonderful aspect there, and then one of my favorite episodes of all time is something called the Inner Light. And it came at the end of season five. It was season five, episode 25. The Inner Light, it's a simple story. A probe comes and kind of scans the ship and then scans Captain Picard and kind of knocks him out in a sense. And he's transported, his consciousness is transported to this planet where he wakes up and everyone around him is telling him that his whole time on the Enterprise and everything was a dream and he's really part of this planet. And in the span of 20 minutes, he lives this entire other life on this planet. It's like a parallel universe. Well, it, it, what it ended up being is it all happened in his, you know, in his subconscious or in his imagination. But this probe allowed him to live an entire life with this species that had long been uh, destroyed. Uh, in order to carry on the memories of these people. But it was such a powerful episode to to just watch somebody in Captain Picard try to struggle with who he is and the life he had before and, you know, the life he had to leave behind. And Yeah, because he was married in that episode. And then, he had yeah. a family. Yeah, married, family. Yeah, uh, you know, grown children eventually. Mm-hmm. And it was su- such a powerful episode. You saw it just before you came here. We hoped our probe would encounter someone in the future. Someone who could be a teacher. Someone who could tell the others about us. Oh, it's me. Isn't it? I'm the someone. 
I'm the one it finds. That's what this launching is. A probe that finds me in the future. Yes, my love. The rest of us have been gone a thousand years. If you remember what we were and how we lived, then we'll have found life again. And it's one of my all-time favorites of, of what it deals with. And it recurs too. That's an episode that recurs later on in the seasons. So as you can see, I mean, we can go on and on about the different episodes of Star Trek and how their morality tales, which is going back to why we felt almost a little offended with the J.J. Abram films because they were not this. They they were awesome as an action-packed sci-fi movie. But, I mean, we just covered a couple of morality tales in these episodes, and that's why Star Trek is so important to us. And to me, that's why I'm so impressed with Gene Roddenberry and who he was because, again, and we've already said this, he was way ahead of his time. To me, the reason why I always said that Star Trek is, you know, became my religion was as, you know, the episodes I mentioned, I really learned something from that. There was one in particular, and this was an episode that had a huge impact on my life. And this was, oof, this was a long time ago. And I believe, you know, the, the first real impact it had on my life was when it actually aired back in 1993, because back in that year, I had done a uh, a paper on it for college based in this episode. Did you really? And the episode is called Tapestry, and it's in, uh, in season six. And Tapestry essentially deals with regret. And what happened is essentially the episode is Captain Picard. He gets injured in, in the beginning of, of the film, and he's, uh, he's basically on death's door. And he has an artificial heart, essentially like a, like a pacemaker, artificial heart, uh, that from an injury he had years earlier. So there's a being in Star Trek uh, named Q, who's kind of this omnipresent being who, you know, has abilities over time and space and so forth. Anyway, he takes Captain Picard and sends him back in time and says, here, I'll give you the ability to change the event in your life that gave you this artificial heart and then you'll live in the future. And so it was this very interesting thing because of course, Captain Picard wants to live in the future in order to do that. You know, he needs to change this one thing that happened. It was a fight that he got into when he was young and at the Academy. And so he goes through all of these steps to try to change the fight. And he eventually does when he gets transported back to the future. He's not the same person that he was. He's much more submissive. He's in a lower rank. And it's because he never took chances early on. I gave you something most mortals never experience. A second chance at life. And now all you can do is complain. I can't live out my days as that person. That man is bereft of passion and imagination. That is not who I am. Au contraire. He's the person you wanted to be. One who is less arrogant and undisciplined in his youth. The Jean-Luc Picard you wanted to be, the one who did not fight the Nausicaan, had quite a different career from the one you remember. That Picard never had a brush with death, never came face to face with his own mortality. 
never realized how fragile life is or how important each moment must be. So his life never came into focus. He drifted through much of his career with no plan or agenda, going from one assignment to the next, never seizing the opportunities that presented themselves. He never led the away team on Milica III to save the ambassador, or take charge of the Stargazer's bridge when its captain was killed, and no one ever offered him a command. He learned to play it safe, and he never, ever got noticed by anyone. You're right, Q. You gave me the chance to change, and I took the opportunity. But I admit now, it was a mistake. Are you asking me for something, Jean-Luc? Give me a chance to put things back the way they were before. Before you died in sickbay. Is that what you want? I would rather die as the man I was than live the life I just saw. And it was such a powerful episode to me to show that we a lot of times have these regrets in our life, but the things that have happened in our life are what make us who we are today. And back in 1993, that spoke so powerfully to me. It was such a strong thing. And it was because, you know, I mean, decisions, I mean, I was young, I was still in college, uh, ending college, but you know, at that age, I'm still thinking back on my youth and still thinking, you know, well, maybe I should have done things differently. Maybe I should have done this differently or that differently. And I love this because it said, no, all of, everything that has happened in your life, good or bad, has made you who you are today. And who you are today, now you have a choice of making that whatever you want it to be. Yeah, I think a lot of people question the certain decisions that they've made in their lives. And and that that's a, a, an amazing episode because it makes you question, wow, if, if I could go back and change something, would I? You know, but everything would be different. Everything, we wouldn't be who we are if we if we could, we'd be a whole different person. And then who knows if, if in that we would have regrets and want to go change that. Sure. So it's, it creates this whole domino effect. But it's funny because that episode was the first episode that Marco ever showed me when he was introducing Star Trek to me. <laughs> and that which is his favorite episode and has so much meaning to him was the one that I was like, man, that's pretty cheesy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> And it, the theme of the episode, which is it comes in one of the closing lines of the speech, was that there are many threads in the tapestry of life. And when you start to pull on one of those threads, it unravels the entire tapestry. And it's a wonderful, wonderful lesson to be learned. Now, for me, it struck me powerfully in 1993, but I went back to that episode and found comfort in it again uh, at the end of 1999 when my father passed away because I needed something to fall back on to say, should I have done anything different? Should I have lived my life different when he was alive? Should it, right? There's all these should I have done, should I have done, should I have done? And I was going through a lot of other very difficult things at the time, and it brought me comfort. And again, just like a religion does, this brought me comfort saying, no, don't regret the things that have happened in your life. Don't regret the choices that you've made since you can't go back and change them. But work on who you are today. And even if you could go back and change them, it has so many 
different effects on who you would be today. Variable factors, yeah. Yeah, so many different factors. You know, I look at who we are today and I say, well, if I could go back and change something in my past, would I? Well, if I change with the smallest thing, it will unravel the entire tapestry of what we've created today. Yeah, we probably wouldn't be married. We might not be married, yeah. We might not have truthful acting. We might not be doing this podcast. We might not be doing any of this stuff. And that was the biggest lesson I learned. And again, this is why Star Trek is so personal to me. That episode is so deeply personal to me. And then I, you know, I, I could I could go through each one of these episodes and, and talk about what they mean and everything. But uh, just one more that I want to point out. It was called Chain of Command uh, Part Two. And again, season six. This was the episode. You know, every Star Trek fan knows this one. Uh, Captain Picard was taking ho- taken hostage and he was being interrogated slash tortured by the enemy who was simply trying to break his will and his spirit. And it was very simple. So Picard was being uh, deprived of food and deprived of water and tortured with pain and all of these different things. And his enemy uh, captor only wanted him to say there are five lights. So there were four lights above his head. And he would ask Captain Picard, how many lights do you see? And he says, I see four lights. And he says, no, there are five. So I'd say it again, how many lights are there? And Captain Picard would say there are four, and then he would get inflicted with pain. And this was going over and over and over, trying to break his will. And he offered him, he said, look, I, you will have no more pain. I, I will let you go. You will live a life of luxury. You will be free. All you need to do is tell me there are five lights. The word will be that you perished with your crew. No one will ever know that you are here with us, as you will be for a long, long time. You do, however, have a choice. You can live out your life in misery, held here, subject to my whims. Or you can live in comfort with good food and warm clothing, women as you desire them, allowed to pursue your studies of philosophy and history. I would enjoy debating with you. You have a keen mind. It's up to you. A life of ease, of reflection and intellectual challenge. Or this. What must I do? Nothing, really. Tell me how many lights you see. How many? This is your last chance. The guards are coming. Don't be a stubborn fool. How many? You told me he would be ready to go. We had some unfinished business. Get him cleaned up. A ship is waiting to take him back to the Enterprise. Captain Picard. If you'll go with the guards, they'll take care of you.
an amazing episode to watch. Will somebody break their conviction? Will somebody change their beliefs? At what point does your will break to give in to not wanting to be tortured, to not wanting to, to go through this? It was a beautiful, beautiful episode. And again, any Star Trek fan knows this one. Uh, there are T-shirts made from it. There are <laughs> there's memes of it. You know, there are four lights, and it's it's wonderful. And and saying no, you won't. You will not tell me who I am. You will not tell me what I see. You will not tell me what the world is around me. Yeah, it's about standing for your convictions, and really defending yeah. defending who you know yourself to be, and not letting anyone influence that. Yeah. Oh, and it's it's it was beautifully done. Uh, so if, if any of you out there get a chance to watch these and again, you know, if, if you, if you're not familiar with Star Trek and you're going to dive into it, you have to let go of the idea that it's, you know, it's a low production value. It's not shot the same way as modern TV shows, right? So you're not looking at it. It's not these grandiose sets and all of the CGI and, and everything else. It's more, you're more like watching stage plays on television. They're, you know, Doctor Who's the same way. Right. The budgets aren't big, and but it's not about that. It's about the story. So you have to let go of the fact that the sets aren't as, as you know, as complicated and as realistic and all of those things. Let go of that, but watch it for the story. The acting in The Next Generation is great. We have some wonderful actors in there, and they do a great job. The stories are, are absolutely brilliant. And... You could learn something and it begins a conversation. And for Star Trek fans everywhere, that's what we're that's what we want to see continued. We want this conversation. We want to be able to watch an episode and then discuss it. Not go and see, you know, th- these new movies and then say, "Well, that was fun like Transformers, but there's nothing really to discuss except that you like that explosion or this explosion." Yeah. You know, we want that discussion. In January of uh, 2017, a new television series for star trek is starting it's called star trek discovery and i'm trying not to get too excited about it but i'm getting pretty excited about it well i think you've got hopes i do have hopes (laughs) i think you have hopes (laughs) and and i I, it's a little it's a little scary because again like you went into watching the jj abram ones it was very personal to you so you want to go in there and you want to watch it and you want to defend it just because it has the name star trek to it Yes, but but these this these new series um, that they're rebooting is, I believe, with one of the original writers from Star Trek, if I'm not mistaken. So there may be something there to that. Yeah, it, uh, Nicholas uh, Nicholas Meyer, who was uh, one of the writers, and uh, he was the director of Star Trek: To the Wrath of Khan. He was one of the writers and director of Star Trek: Six: The Undiscovered Country. And he was one of the writers of Star Trek for the Voyage Home. All of those movies, they were kind of kind of the even movies in the series. All of those movies are considered the best of the movies. Yeah, and they were they held, held Gene Roddenberry's vision, so he's very familiar with that. So hopefully, oh, he'll stay true to that. Definitely, and you know, if you think of, you know Star Star Trek Two and Star Trek Six are two of the the best ones that they and he directed those. So not only did he write those, he directed those. And then Star Trek Four, which was the lighter one with, you know, with the whales, still had the vision. And Nicholas Myers had said that he is going, he wanted to take the vision, really starting with the Undiscovered Country, that the new TV show would have kind of the feel of that movie 
now moving forward into a TV series. And so that's exciting. Also, Gene Roddenberry's son is involved hmm. as well. And they brought him on to, they wanted the Roddenberries to still be part of this. And they brought him on to say, okay, we want to make sure that you were here to keep us in check with what your dad's vision was. I'm excited. So I, I'm <laughs> I real I'm excited totally about excited. this. Uh, they're talking about having a, the, the, the lead is going to be female. Um, not too Sweet. sure who that is. Yeah. And it's going to be called Star Trek Discovery. And it sets, um, I forget when they said it's set, I think, before the original series. Oh, wow. So okay. it's kind of like a prequel Interesting. type of thing. It's um, It would be in the early days. It would be like when Kirk was at the Academy. It's not about Captain Kirk and so forth, but it's like he would be young enough to be at the Academy or, you know, in, in pretty young. And it's about what's happening with Starfleet in those early days. Like the way it started? Kind of like the way it started, yeah. Mm. So it, it, well, it takes place after Enterprise, Star Trek Enterprise, which you still haven't seen yet, which I'm going to introduce you to soon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it takes place after that, but before the original series. So anyway, it's going to be exciting. And hopefully with, uh, with Nicholas Meyer and, uh, and the Roddenberries back in the mix, we're going to get to Gene's vision and back to really strong morality tales. I want to do that. Which we need because there is no TV. I mean, well, yeah, there really isn't a TV show out there that has good morality tales in it. It's hard to find nowadays. I don't know. I'm trying to think. No, yeah. I mean, it, Maybe it's, Doctor Who. Doctor well, Who is, a, is about morality do- tales. Doctor yeah. Who still does it. Yeah. Yeah, which we have to get back caught up on Doctor Seriously. Who. Seriously. We have about 10 seasons to get caught up on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Doctor Who really does it. I mean, outside of that, it's it's tough to find anything. Um, Lost is another big show of ours. And that's why I was so excited when Abrams took the realm, uh, you know, took the helm of Star Trek in 2009. I'm, I'm like, he gave us Lost. Yeah. He knows how to develop characters and tell morality stories in a very deep way because he gave us Lost. I know. And that's that honestly, Lost is one of our favorite TV shows ever. And, and we'll, we'll do another podcast uh, just on Lost. Yeah, we can talk a, a whole hour can, on Lost. Yeah, we can talk you know, it's all about character <laughs> development and, but that, that's a beautiful series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, and then of course, Battlestar Galactica, which we can do another thing on as well. That was, that was a really well done series. Battlestar Galactica, I- I- interesting side note. When, uh, when BSG reboot in the mini series, the vision they had for BSG was actually the vision they wanted to do when they came out with Star Trek enterprise. Mm. And but Star Trek Enterprise, they they didn't know how to bring it that gritty and that dark, so they kind of did a hybrid, which which you'll see, and it just didn't catch on as as much as as they wanted. So when they went, the, you know, the writers that did Enterprise and and the producers and so forth, they went. These are the same people that developed BSG, which and then, we love BSG. We love BSG. It was it's amazing. Uh, back when BSG came out in its in its first season run. Uh, it was rated one of the best dramas on television by Time Magazine. Not one of the best sci-fis on television, one of the best dramas on television because it it got so deep into uh, into a human connection, into the character development. It was it was wonderful. And we're gonna we'll do a podcast on BSG as well because I, I think everyone needs to be watching that. Everyone needs to watch BSG, everyone needs to watch Lost. <laughs> everyone should be watching Star Trek. So this episode um, gives you a little bit of insight in who we are as people. Uh, Marco, what makes 
what's made him to be who he is. And, and me too, I've, I've grown a lot by watching Star Trek uh, as a person. And it, we've had some amazing conversations due to Star Trek. So that gives you guys a little insight of who we are and why we're so passionate about things. I think it speaks to the power of good storytelling. And as a director and an acting instructor, you know, as, and as an actor, our job is to tell stories and to move an audience to affect them in some way and to hopefully make an audience reflect and think about their own life. And that's what good stories do. And so to me, you know, to us, Star Trek was that. It was one of those gems that got you to think and got you to reflect on your own life. And again, in future episodes, when we talked about Battlestar Galactica and Lost, those were others that got uh, for very personal for us that got us to think and got us to reflect. And so that's that's the power of good storytelling. It's going to be the power of good movies, the power of good television, uh, the power of plays that you watch, books that you read. And uh, if you can find that and have that in your life, it's so important. It helps bring us together as a society. It gives gives us some common ground to discuss issues on. Yeah, and, and you know, whether you've watched Star Trek and, and you get it or, or you've seen it and you just don't like it, it's not your cup of tea, I mean, you, you can't deny the storytelling. You can't deny that. So, you know, whether you disagree with us or agree with us, just be with us. All right, podcast world, thank you for listening. It's uh, great to be able to talk about Star Trek for a little while. I can do this for days. Yeah, that was fun. Peace. All right, live long and prosper. So what I told you was true, from a certain point of view. You must unlearn what you have learned. I know what you're trying to do. I'm trying to free your mind, but I can only show you the door. You're the one that has to walk through it.